Hello and welcome to Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting, the podcast designed to highlight strategies and resources that help youth in care transition to adulthood successfully. Our guest today is David Gurian. David is the National Director at Life, an organization focused on helping people with self-sufficiency And particularly, we will talk about their Life Strengths Program, which is focused on helping young people who are aging out of foster care. Well, welcome, David. Thanks so much for participating in our podcast series. How are you doing today? You know, Lynn, I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Well, to get started, I always ask our guests, if you would please tell us a little bit about yourself and how is it that you got to be connected with the foster care system? Yeah, so, you know, I was a part of iPoor Life for a number of years in a variety of different capacities. And prior to that, my involvement with the foster care system has really been through just kind of volunteer experiences in the community or through relationships with people that I've had, friendships. Um, never had a direct personal experience with foster care growing up or with my family. I know a lot of people have had um, just friends that were in the foster care system or had grown up uh, with maybe an aunt or an uncle or someone like that, that had been a foster parent. So for me, it was really kind of a experience that I stepped into the more involved I got with iPoor Life, which is the nonprofit that I'm a part of now. That's probably where it began. Um, But Honestly, if you were to say, I'm sure if I were to really go back and think about it, I've probably known quite a few people that have um, been a part of the foster care system or or it's touched them in some form or another. Mm-hmm. Well, what were you doing before you got involved with iPoor Life? What was your career, in other words, before you, you changed? Yeah, so I started as um, kind of like the five years or so when a lot of the Post-2008 recession, a lot of people were kind of trying to rethink, what do we do with our lives? I know I was, and I had uh, become a Gallup certified strengths coach during that time and had a consulting business and did a lot of strategic planning consulting. iPoor Life was something that I just got connected with, and through them, I found myself really drawn to the mission of serving at-risk populations and more specifically older foster youth. And so it was kind of a natural fit. We were focusing on strengths-based coaching with the organization. And I started seeing opportunities to help the staff and the team there kind of improve the programming that they were doing. And before you know it, I'm involved in strategic planning sessions and leadership development. And I'm thinking, wow, I'm really spending a lot of time and energy with this organization. I love it. And then suddenly you become a part of the organization. They ask you to step into a role. And now I serve as the national director for them and really oversee all of our programming and development in the U.S. side of our operations. Wow. You know, it's interesting. A lot of the people that we have interviewed so far come from a background of either being in foster care or being foster parents themselves, different avenues bring them. Uh, It sounds like you were really more in the corporate world, but it does make sense that your expertise in this strengths-based coaching would marry nicely with not only the staff at iPoor Life, but with the youth too, right? Yeah. And and even more so, iPoor Life's primary program that we have that serves older foster youth is called Life Strengths. And it is a positive youth development program which really fits well with Gallup's strengths finder, strengths-based approach, uh, really looking at what's right or what's the potential in an individual rather than what's wrong. So it, it was such a great fit. It just naturally kind of melded together and seemed like a, a general extension of the work I was doing just with a more focused population that I was serving. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, let's see if we could find out a little bit more about iPoor Life and your Life Strengths program so that we can understand the details around it, who you work with, and what it is that you're trying to accomplish. What's your goal with these young people? Yeah, so iPoor Life was started over a decade ago, and the focus was actually initially an overseas youth development program. And after about four or five years of it working and succeeding in El Salvador, our CEO really saw the need 
to have a local program that was addressing some of the at-risk youth. I would say challenges that were specific to the community where it started, but as we discovered more and more, they were really universal challenges. It was not as specific to the region. It started in Springfield, Missouri, which is sort of a mid-sized town, kind of a mix of urban and rural in the southwest corner of the state of Missouri. From there, iProLife and our CEO really discovered there are a lot of services being provided to youth that are at risk, homeless youth, to older foster care youth that really help them find housing. It helps them basically tutoring, um, catching, you know, whether it's credit recovery in school, homeless sheltering, rapid rehousing, transitional living programs. There's a lot of services there. But what we weren't seeing was somebody that could just walk alongside one of these youth that are really on a trajectory to age out of the system and not only just help them be prepared for that launch, but actually into that new life after aging out, help to keep them on a path of success. So we developed this program called Life Strengths that has a specialized curriculum with the goal of ultimately youth aging out of foster care, having self-sufficiency and really stepping into adulthood with confidence, but also to try to mitigate some of the risk factors that are often associated with them. You know, homelessness, you see a lot of delayed education attainment, um, lower income uh, earnings, unemployment rates, earlier pregnancies, things like that. We really saw our program as being able to have an impact on those outcomes, but from this kind of positive youth development perspective. And is it like a mentor program? You know, that's a great question. We really do kind of a combination. On some regards, it's like mentorship, but more than anything, it's very similar to the kind of coaching that a professional might receive through, say, like the Gallup organization that I had been doing coaching through their certification. It's it's much more of a goal-focused, but there really is a mentorship aspect to it. I would say we use practices like motivational interviewing, strengths-based techniques in the process, which really gives it that kind of goal and coach feel to it. But there's a lot of fun and engaging just day-to-day that happens between the coach and the youth that really has that mentorship feel. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. And do you have a physical location that the youth come to? Or how does that work? How do the, the coaches, if that's what you call them, how do they meet up with the young people? Great question because we, um, that's, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but that had one experience prior to COVID 19. And now is looking a little different right now uh, after or as we're living in a COVID 19 world. But initially, we always really focused on going to where the youth were. They're so spread out and there's a lot of movement constantly happening, even with older foster youth. And their placements may change, you know, heaven forbid, they may run and something may change again down the line there. So we found the more mobile we were, the greater the potential for us to have an ongoing relationship with them and to really help build the positive development that we were really hoping for them to achieve. So we do have a location that is a sort of a physical, we call it the house, but it's it's essentially a a gathering place are coaches who are actually staffed coaches. They So they're not volunteers, but they're, they're staffed coaches. They office out of there, but we also do group events and activities to it. But so many of our youth don't have access to reliable transportation, and it turns into kind of a shuttling experience where our coaches would be picking up five or 10 youth trying to bring them back to the house rather than trying to go to whatever group setting that the youth are in and just engaging with them there. Mm -hmm. And do you find there's more participation? If you're going to them, they're more likely to show up? Yeah, I definitely think we learned that lesson the hard way early on. When you wait at a place for a youth to show up, a lot of times, even if you've confirmed that day, there'll be a lot of no-shows. And you know, there's a mix to that, depending on the level of rapport that an individual's built with a youth, that may happen less frequently. But even with the youth that you have the best relationship with, stuff just happens. So we really have found 
if we can meet them where they're at or try to come to a place that's really close to where they're at, we have much, much better outcomes as far as showing up and having that actual coaching session that we were hoping to have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, you, you refer to coaching rather than mentoring. And it seems like, tell me if I'm wrong, but it seems like the approach is more we're working with young adults and we're going to coach them with that perspective in mind because I think some programs tend to work with young people who age out of foster care and it's very regimented and very structured and I think in some cases maybe that works for the program but in my mind it's maybe treating the young people more like kids than like adults so I'm just wondering is that something that you've talked about and intentionally done with your young people yeah, we, we host some roundtable discussions where we get feedback from our youth just on their own life histories, their own experiences in the foster care system. And one of the things that comes up is the feeling of having too much structure and almost kind of micromanagement to that. And I know that's coming from a youth's perspective, which may not be the complete picture. And we recognize that as well. I think the thing we learned was there's some really great people out there, case managers, um, programs that are doing some very structured work with the youth. We don't have to be another one doing that. We can actually come in with more of a guided discussion and an end point in mind, but maybe not being so married to the exact step-by-step way we have to get there. So we do a lot of training with our coaches to work through how do they navigate a conversation and a discussion to a place that has that kind of positive outcome, but it doesn't have to be so rigid that it starts to feel like this is just another thing that the youth is required to go to. Right, exactly. And your staff are the coaches, right? These aren't volunteers, I take it. Yeah, we, you know, we initially tried volunteers. That was our first pilot. And it really was a lot harder to mesh the schedules of a volunteer and the really kind of all over the place schedule of a older foster youth that needs coaching that is in need of development. There's so many other things going on. And I mean, honestly, I think youth in general, their schedules are all over the place. It doesn't matter what background you come from. There's So to have a volunteer who has a normal nine to five job during the week, try to figure out how they're going to have how they're going to meet with a youth you when transportation's a barrier it, it really wasn't working well when we brought them when instead we had a staffed coach position it gave us a lot more flexibility to actually achieve and meet um, just meet our youth and meet them where they're at but also maintain consistency as well right right what's the ratio of your staff to youth our model is kind of built on one coach to about 25, I would say 20 to 25 youth, but that's really over the course of a year. Our program is 12 months and we meet weekly with youth. We try to meet weekly with them. And that is really a, like, if you think about 25 youth, they're not all 25 on a coach's, you could call it maybe caseload all at once. It kind of eases into it, but throughout the course of a year, they'll end up coaching around 25 youth as some youth kind of come into the program and some progress to the next steps for themselves, which is, you know, depending on who you speak with, that's either really relatively low or about what a lot of people are now starting to see, maybe a good number. Mm-hmm. And what ages do you work with? Do you start with foster youth when they're still in high school or do you wait until after they've aged out? What is your, the demographics of your youth? We really serve a unique age range. We start at the age of 16. We're not quite to a place where we can go a little bit younger than that. We think 15 may actually be the magic number, but we haven't quite tested that in its fullness yet. But 16 years old up to age 24. So we're really seeing youth before they age out all the way through aging out. That's kind of a unique bridge when you look at that demographic because a lot of services end uh, state of Missouri 18 years old is when youth age out. So a lot of services end at that point. We are an ongoing resource to our youth even after they've aged out and even after they've completed our programming. So we really have such a large span there that we work with. 
the large majority of the youth that we coach are really between those ages of 16 and 21. Okay. And you say it's generally a 12-month program. Is there a particular curriculum that the coaches follow, or is it really meeting each individual youth and developing goals based on their specific needs? We started with a general curriculum way at the beginning of the programming and found that there were specific needs that a lot of our youth were facing, and there really wasn't the level of resources out there from a positive youth development perspective that we really felt were going to help us achieve and get to a great place with each one of these youth. So we actually developed our own in-house curriculum. It's really more of guided discussions and activities, but it's been built on years of our own research, built on years of our own um, observations and experiences, and really was informed on a variety of different levels as we created it. So we use that curriculum, but I would say each part of the curriculum has space for a youth to uniquely design and come up with their goals that they're wanting to achieve. So we're not necessarily saying this is what you have to do, but the curriculum helps draw that out of them. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And are your coaches trained in any kind of, say, trauma-informed counseling, anything along those lines when working with this population? We have started going down the road of some trauma-informed care and trauma-informed training. It has not been a prerequisite or requirement. We don't have a, like a social work background requirement or a counseling background requirement. We really look for backgrounds that have worked with at-risk populations, at-risk youth specifically. But that's opened the door for us to kind of take a person's unique experience that they've had with working with youth to help weigh in on how well they can connect and relate to the youth. Rapport is hands down probably one of the most important elements in coaching a youth that's aging out of the system. One can have all the degrees in the world, but if you don't have the ability to connect with a youth and connect with a variety of different youth, it's going to be really difficult to see success. And it's going to be really difficult to help coach them to a place of self-sufficiency. And that's something that we've learned really is based a lot more on experience than per se, like a specific degree or very specific background. So you mentioned, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. You mentioned that you thought 15 years old might be the the magic number. Why do you think that would be an ideal time to start working with foster youth? Lynn, I'll tell you what, it is every single time we've worked with a youth that is older. And I know that sounds like a broad generalization, but it really is coming out to like every single time. And I don't have the hard data on it at the moment, but we have a lot of youth when they're... 18, 19, 20 years old, if we start coaching a youth at that age, we hear the story of a decision that they made around 14 and 15 years old that really had an impact on the trajectory of the next five years of their life, if not longer. There's something that's happening at 14 and 15 age range there. There are decisions being made that a youth is doing and making, whether it's friends that they're choosing to hang out with, that they then get involved in something that has longer term ramifications or relationships that they start. Something seems to always come back to that age that by the time that's 15, decisions have been made. Numbers of them have dropped out of high school or they get moved into a different facility at that. It all seems to kind of come back to 15. My experience in foster care was that was the age that I went into foster care was 15. But I also think that, you know, I was the type of young person that probably at any age, I would have been open to some assistance. I didn't have any extra support other than the extended family that we ultimately ended up with. Mm -hmm. But I think it would have been, in my mind, very helpful to have had somebody, even at that age of 15, to start working with me and helping me think about my future. I really would have appreciated having that. It's a bit projecting, but if you think about when you talk to a lot of healthy people that have grown up in a healthy family environment and had it or had a complete family environment however one wants to look at it you hear a lot of decisions that were made in that kind of 14 15 that transition into high school age and they had a supportive adult that was a positive influence on them that was at the very least modeling what a positive outcome could look like for them if not helping walk them through that 
And I think so many youth that are in the foster care system as an older foster care youth, there are fewer adults, if not what we have found in the youth that come to our program, most of them have zero positive adults that are in their lives that would have been able to have helped guide them through that or helped model that for them. That's something that we actually ask on the front end uh, before our intake into our program. And we're really shocked at how often the answer is zero or at best maybe one, that they had an adult, positive adult relationship in their life. Right. I wonder if around that age, 14 or 15, that if they have a positive adult influencing their lives, that they would be less likely to turn to peer influence. Now, of course, all teenagers are going to be influenced by their peers. I get that. But if you have that adult, then they would be less likely to go in the the wrong directions that often are guided by peers. And I also think that if you have an adult at that age, then the likelihood of being able to trust, assuming that adult sticks with you, is going to be much greater. And if you don't have that adult, part of the problem is that the lack of trust. I don't know. I'm just throwing this out there. (laughs) What do you think? Well, we experience it from kind of on the back end. One of the things we describe I Poor Life's Life Strengths Program as is it's, it's really like becoming part of a family in the sense that we really don't have an end date and exiting of the Life Strengths Program. You finish the curriculum, you've gone through the development training, the development coaching, but we continue to invite them to, we have a monthly family dinner, which is kind of a large style dinner that we gather as many of our youth that are available to come to, um, usually it's an opportunity for volunteers in the community to also come and interact and try to, we, we build positive bonds, we have games, we do food, all kinds of fun stuff like that. And it's really a great time, but it's, it's an event that our youth keep coming back to on a monthly basis years after maybe they had their first coaching. So we've seen that our presence as an ongoing positive entity in their life is really a desirable and and needed thing well past coaching. And I think if you take what you were just saying, you go back earlier, imagine a 14 or a 15 year old that really is um, maybe going to a placement for the first time or is on path towards a like a transitional living program or something like that. And they have a positive adult relationship that's helping them achieve goals but is also there and building social capital with them that is ongoing. I don't know anyone that would say no to an opportunity like that, to have that kind of influence in a positive way in their life. Well, when you're working with the the youth at that age, the younger age, 16, 17, and they're still in foster homes, how do you uh, work with the foster parents? Is is there foster parents involved in any of the discussions or assisting the young person to reach their goals? Or is it really just between the staff and the youth? Most of our interactions is really just between the staff and the youth, primarily because what we see are, we really see the youth is is who we're there for. And we recognize that placements vary Foster homes vary. There's a variety of different aspects. We do interact with the family and we have helped walk through various situations that have come up at times, various relational tensions that exist there. We think that the hardest part with a placement when it comes to the youth in our program is if we spend too much time in one space, then when the youth ends up being moved to a different placement, we really kind of have found that we're seen as an extension of that foster family and and some of the things that kind of carry on with that. So we've really tried to strike a balance that's a lot easier said than done. But I think we do believe strongly in positive foster home experiences and positive foster parenting. We know that that's a big opportunity and a great influence that can be had. And if a youth has a great foster parent or a great foster placement, they they do wonderful. You know, there's so many great things that we can walk alongside and champion with them. 
a lot of our youth that do come to our program are coming from transitional living programs or independent living programs. So we see maybe fewer from the foster home setting, but we do coach them there. Right, right. Okay. And when you are doing the coaching, I know you mentioned some things earlier. What exactly are you coaching them on? I, I can imagine people wondering, well, are you helping them you know, reach their career goals, their education goals? Do you help them with managing emotions when they're getting upset and thinking through what's triggering them and how is it that you can handle this better in the future? Is it all of the above? It's really all of the above, but there's some specifics we focus on. You know, relationships by the broadest definition is such an impact on youth and older foster youth, who they see as being close within their circle, who they see as being healthy or unhealthy. We've discovered that that has probably the greatest impact and influence on their success to stepping into self-sufficiency as an adult. If, if aging out is the trajectory that they are on and there really isn't looking like there's a lot of opportunities for another outcome for them, we really have seen whoever they've surrounded themselves with from a relationship standpoint has a major impact. So we definitely spend lots of time in talking about who are in your circles, who are there that you, who do you trust that are within your circles, who don't you trust, who are you spending time with, really kind of working to have dialogue around what kind of relationships do you have currently and what kind of relationships would you really benefit from if you had some additional or different positive ones in your life? So really definitely takes a lot of time and energy just to, to break those down, to do it in a way that doesn't seem prescriptive, but actually encourages dialogue around that. So it's hands down one of the main areas that we focus on. And we really want to see a youth also, once they kind of have understood who are within their circles, who's healthy, who's unhealthy. There's then kind of some so what's from that. Like, what does that mean about how you interact with others? What does that mean about how you look at the situations when you find yourself in a spot that maybe, uh, you know, how do you know when you can make a positive decision here or one that might have some negative repercussions that might set you back on the journey that you're wanting to accomplish? We do talk a little bit about emotions, but more from the standpoint of, kind of emotional intelligence approach to it. And really that awareness, that self-awareness, we're not you know, licensed counselors or therapists. So really our space is much more within just how could an emotion maybe derail you from a goal that you've just shared with us that you want to go and how can we help encourage you to find the support you need to really help develop stronger or greater emotional intelligence. And I will say, Lynn, if I might add just one more thing, we really do measure self-sufficiency in terms of employment and education progress. And then also what we would say is social capital. So those relationships that really have are those primarily adult relationships, but also peer-to-peer relationships that are really contributing positively to a youth's life and really have that ability to help them succeed in life. Those are kind of our three broad ranged outcomes that we we look at at the end of all of our programming and say, okay, have we made progress in any of these areas here? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how do you track the progress? Are you setting goals with the young people and uh, you know, keeping keeping track of which goals are met when? I'm, I'm imagining a coaching situation, you're seeing them once a week, I don't know if an hour or two or so you're talking with them. Are they then going back and do they have like self-assigned homework (laughs) to do? And then they come back and they say, okay, here's what went well. Here's what didn't go well. And then you talk through it. Uh, What does that ongoing interaction look like? We definitely have homework. It's, we kind of, we jokingly, it's call it life work. It's, you know, it's this idea of, really more self-reflection. So it doesn't really feel like homework and we don't want it to be homework in that sense, but it very much is that, hey, at the end of a coaching session, which typically they're anywhere in a normal setting when we were pre-COVID-19, an hour to an hour and a half timeline, we didn't necessarily put an end limit on it, but if it went to two hours, we were probably saying, look, it's it's probably worth another coaching session rather than just keeping them going long. It's hard to hold everybody's attention that long anyway. It was just a general guideline. Yeah, we have them take a look at 
in each one of the areas of the curriculum as whatever the discussion was that day, there's always a, like a take home piece to it. And it's usually meant to draw up observation. You know, how are you seeing this having an effect on your life? Now that we've talked about it, let's grow an awareness of it. And then let's bring that back up in the next coaching session is how we start the session. When we talked about that one person that you have a relationship with, you know, now that we have this insight into them a little bit more deeply, as we kind of looked at it, how did that change the way you interacted with them this week? Did you spend time with them or more time? A lot of times they'll actually text our coaches during the week and say, hey, you know, and, and reply back before we even have to ask about it. I, I remembered what we talked about the other day and this just happened and this is what I did. And it's, it's a great opportunity for positive reinforcement in those moments, just at the very least that there was awareness of it and that they had reached out to their coach in the midst of it. Yeah. I can really see this process helping to build a young person's, like you're saying, the self-awareness or the intrapersonal skills by having this, you know, continual reflection and discussion around, uh, you know, what's going on in their lives and them thinking about it. I think a lot of, a lot of people in general don't go through a process in their lives to increase their self-awareness. It's, it's kind of like what they have is what they have. <laughs> I can really see how this could be beneficial. Now, do you ever have alumni from your program come back and want to be a coach? We have a number of our youth, you know, we could refer to them as alumni that are involved pretty regularly with the work that we do. We haven't quite gotten to the place where we've found someone that's ready or interested to be a coach just yet, but we've definitely had a lot of involvement. I think our goal long-term, we would love to see our youth that are going through life strengths to come back and eventually want to become a coach and want to be that same person to a youth that their coach was to them. That's, that's definitely so. But we have a number of youth that are still a part of it that help lead some of our group discussions, roundtable discussions, um, and actually do provide an added support to youth that are actively in the program that still interact with them and engage with them. So it's it very much kind of feels like a family at times where we have everybody sort of pouring into everybody. Everybody's a little into each other's business a little bit as well. So so if this person's <laughs> having this experience, sometimes a number of the youth will help circle around them in a positive way. But we really see that as a good thing. We know that there's a need for ongoing peer-to-peer -peer support. And we want to continue to create environments and settings in which that can happen. Right. Oh, good. Good. I'm glad. And I know that uh, at least from my experience and also from what I hear is when you have somebody who has a background in foster care, it's kind of like the credibility, right? <laughs> You've been where I am or where I was until recently. And so I'm, I'm going to listen to you or I'm more likely to listen to you at least. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we've mentioned this whole COVID-19 situation that we're in. I don't know what your situation is right now in Missouri and Pennsylvania. We're still pretty much locked down. But how has that impacted your organization? I mean, obviously, the, the physical get-togethers have had to change. But how have, you, how have you rolled with the punches? And do you think that there might be some long-term changes from here on in? We were anticipating because Missouri was a little delayed in, you know, in COVID-19 having a more of a far reaching effect. Um, we're there now, but we were not obviously as quickly as the coast, you know, New York was or the West Coast was. So we had a, a little bit of the luxury of seeing what's sort of coming down the path here. And immediately we converted what was our one-on-one face-to-face -on -one -face coaching as well as our group setting coaching into a virtual model that we actually deployed prior to Missouri having more restricted stay-at-home guideline, you know, restricted movements, as well as a lot of the facilities and agencies that we partner with, where we work with youth, had new policies that went into effect pretty quickly that said, you know, no visitors, no, nobody outside of the staff that could be there. And those are still in place now. And most of them we actually maneuvered really fast to a virtual coaching model. And it was definitely the result of my past experience, having coached a lot of people virtually in a professional business setting, having seen how it works, having gone through a lot of the trial and errors 
you'd be, I'm sure, amazed at how hard it is to get a business executive to come to a coaching call session virtually, even though they have an admin and have a somebody that's putting it in their calendar. There still are no shows. You know, there still were things like that you experienced. So I had kind of lived that and gone through it in a non-quarantine world. So we were able to put a lot of practices, best practices in place that are known um, throughout the coaching world as being really critical to, to having a successful coaching career from a virtual standpoint into place with the youth that we were coaching, believing that they would work, but not not 100% sure. And we ended up seeing a lot of success from it during this time. And how do you know that you're successful? Well, the measurements that we're looking at, I guess, probably the number one thing that we've been looking at from a success measure during this season has been engagement Mm -hmm. and really the engagement on the coaching session end. So not just how many times are we texting them or messaging them or different things like that, but really getting to that very positive life-giving coaching session is really seeing engagement there and having good engaging sessions within them in that regard. We were measuring that pre-COVID-19 how often are we getting to those spots with youth on a weekly basis? Um, how you know where is each youth with that level of engagement? And we didn't see minus like the very first week when we transitioned because it took a little bit to get some technology set up in some other settings, um, some things we had to figure out and work through. But after sort of that first week and some of those bumps in the road with that, we really saw the engagement level being really close to the same it was pre-COVID-19. So that was great. Um, I will say it resulted in a lot more dialogue and pre-dialogue than we had had prior to COVID-19. But that really just became, I think, a result of everybody being on their devices all day long and ease of accessibility in that regard. Right, right, sure. Now, it seems like, throwing this out there, that with the technology that's available and people becoming used to this as a way of meeting um, through this COVID-19 time, that it could be an opportunity to stretch your arms a little farther regionally to reach more young people. If you don't have to be tied to a geographical boundary, then your coaching could really expand. Now, philosophically, that may not be the direction you want to go down, but has that crossed anybody's mind there? It definitely has. I think we are, I think there's a variety of things we're all living with as we sort of emerge from or begin to emerge as a nation from COVID-19. One of those is economically states uh, across the board are facing budget challenges right now. And I know there's federal funding that's that's been approved and some of it's coming down the pipeline, but I think for Youth that are aging out of the foster care system, that's not a demographic that's necessarily popped up on the radar yet that I'm aware of from that federal funding standpoint. So I think we have to be aware as good partners with the various agencies that we work with and alongside and the states that we work in. Are there ways that we can see similar outcomes, but do it in a more cost-effective way? That's something we've definitely had to consider right now. Lynn, I would also say there's been lower barriers to entry when you have a model like virtual coaching that allows you to build a connection faster with a youth. And it really isn't as awkward as it's been in the past where you're maybe talking to someone in one part of the state and they're in the other. That's really kind of the normative experience these days for all people. So it doesn't seem so weird if that's the case at least initially, it hasn't come across that way. Right. It sounds like the the transition has gone relatively smoothly for you, and I'm glad to hear that. Have your young people been particularly hard hit? I know in some organizations, their youth, depending on the, the demographics and the types of jobs that are in their area, have been really terribly hard hit. In other areas, not so much. What about your young people, at least the group that you have right now? How are they faring? You know, loss of employment uh, has definitely been an issue. We had a number of youth that had just started jobs really in February. And by March, you know, they were all unemployed as a result of that. 
I think the challenge that we are facing with our specific youth has been because of the lack of or lack of or underdeveloped public transportation system. It's really difficult, even though there are jobs at frontline roles, you know, we hear about Walmart or other grocery chains and stores like that, that are hiring now, hiring now. But if a youth can't get to that location, or there's extra restrictions on their placement as a result of that, what may seem as a a no brainer option for them to go maybe apply there in the meantime, while they while things kind of settle out, there's barriers there uh, that are uniquely faced by youth that are aging out of this foster care or have recently aged out. Yeah. Well, I think that, at least from what I've seen statewide, there has been some limited awareness of what the needs are of the young people aging out of foster care during this time uh, with some extra supports provided. But I think it's really limited. I haven't heard anything about Missouri in insofar as the state support um, and helping the young people. I know they're definitely... You know, nobody's aging out into a dire situation during this time in the state of Missouri. Those, you know, they put measures in place to help prevent that from happening, which we're very thankful and supportive of. I think the harder, the bigger question is, there's going to be a long-term effect for youth that were 18 years old during this time frame that we don't really know what the full effect is yet, but I really believe barriers are going to pop up now on larger levels than they have before for this unique population. Mm-hmm. So then what is the answer? Is it really a matter of advocates assessing what those barriers are and communicating them clearly to the decision makers? Absolutely. As well as I think bringing a very agile and responsive approach as they start presenting themselves, as states open up more and youth start communicating back and saying, yeah, I really wanted to do this, but I couldn't, or I don't have this, this is preventing me for that ability to do that. I think we've got to be ready and responsive so that it's not two, four, five years down the road that we've made some sort of policy change, but it's, but it's faster, it's quicker, that is able to meet those needs as they emerge. Right, right. Yeah, very true. Unfortunately, uh, states don't move quickly generally speaking. So maybe it's uh, maybe it's a matter of the organizations themselves maybe banding together. Is there a way to partner in new and unique ways to to address those needs? Yeah, I absolutely think we're stronger, better together, stronger together. And I think now is probably the time for us to really say, hey, you know, what do you do really well that you've got great economies of size, great efficiencies in, that we could partner along you, support one another, support this same group of young individuals, really with the same goal to see them succeed in life, and really allowing that collaboration to drive um, better support for our youth. Right, right, absolutely. Let's set aside any you know feelings of territorialism or... <laughs> ownership even, and work together to to help these young people succeed, especially during this critical time that we're in. And like you said, you know, the next, I think there is going to be a longer term impact that's going, we're going to see the effects of for the next year, two, three, or four. Well, I don't know if we're going to get back to quote unquote normal anytime soon, but I just wanted to ask real quickly, if we were to get back to a normal life that we were used to before COVID-19, what do you think that the federal or state governments can do to better support foster youth that are aging out of foster care? I, I like to look at the positive changes that could take place rather than really focusing on the, the negatives. So do you have any ideas along those lines of maybe one or two things that could be done better moving forward? Yeah, I definitely think that motivation we have found with older foster youth, especially ones that are aging out, there's an opportunity there to do some real positive reinforcement. And I know a number of high schoolers that I work with and volunteer with in some other settings, and everybody really kind of responds the same way. You know, we're motivated by our desires of the things we want, or we want to achieve for ourselves. And there's various opportunities there for the federal and the state governments to really support some 
you know, support programming or financing that's around challenging youth to step into this kind of new normal, what you're saying, um, embrace the realities, but also not be limited by their circumstances, a savings match would be a fantastic thing, right? Imagine if there was a savings match available to every older foster youth that was accessible and was able to have reasonably low barriers to disseminating it, that could go a long way with really encouraging employment, encouraging completing high school degrees, things like that along the way. And it doesn't have to be overly complicated. There's clear checks and balances that need to be in place there. But those kinds of things are very motivating to a youth that says, you know what, I want something more for my life. And I definitely think there's opportunity there. I also think there's opportunity for a greater emphasis on an awareness of the impact that social, you know, we say social capital, if your life transfers, if you're moved from placement to placement a lot as an older foster youth, your ability to really have roots in a new community, in a new area, to create a relationship with a positive adult or a, or a network of positive adults really gets it's very limited when you're moved constantly, um, as well as with high schools and those things. I think we're going to see that a lot of youth are actually coming out of COVID-19. Some of them are actually graduating earlier than they expected from high school because they took this time to self-motivate and get ahead on their work. So I think there's some options there that don't always necessitate maybe a life transfer or that they could still have connection in a certain area. And I do see the states and the federal government playing a large role in helping not only figuring that out, but um, making that at least, you know, maintaining the protection of the youth while at the same time making it work. Yeah, yeah. One thing that comes to mind is technology that we have now. The question is, does a social worker need to be changed every time a young person moves out of a county? Or could a social worker be assigned to a young person? And no matter, I mean, hopefully they wouldn't be moved around. Let's just say worst case scenario they are, but they could at least maintain the same social worker, the same caseworker throughout, and they could stay in touch um, through computer, through phone, tablet, what have you. I don't know if that's the best answer, but I'm just thinking out loud that that could provide at least some consistency in the midst of some chaos. Well, and the feedback, Lynn, that we hear from our youth is that the absence of that consistency has an effect on their well-being, at least perceived effect from their standpoint. And I think it's important for us to at least listen to what's being said there and ask the question, mm -hmm. like you said, are there other ways that we could go about approaching this that we're suddenly now very aware of and very familiar with that seemed maybe before to be such a barrier or a hurdle to overcome. Now, really, the circumstances sort of brought us to that point. Could we capitalize on that or at least test something? Right. Yeah, let's try it somewhere. See if it works. Would, would you volunteer in Missouri? <laughs> we'll give it a shot in Missouri first. <laughs> we love testing things. Yeah. Missouri's the show me state. So we're all about testing. Yeah. We'll test anything. Oh my. Well, I tell you what, I appreciate your thoughts and sharing with us about your program, David. It's been great. I really wish you well as you move forward. It does look like we're going to have to wrap up time-wise, but maybe you could leave us with some information. If anybody wanted to get in touch with you or maybe, oh, I don't know, donate to you, <laughs> what would be the best way for them to do so? You know, our website, we have a website specific to our Life Strengths program. It's just simply Life Strengths all one word there, .org. So lifestrengths.org. You can also go to ipourlife, I-P-O-U-R-life.org and just learn more about our organization and some of the other programs we have uh, in other communities. But that's that's probably the easiest way. Um, honestly, I'll put my email out there on the podcast. It's very simple. It's david at ipourlife.org. You can find that on our website too. I am always interested and open to conversations and dialogue. Uh, this is such an important, important thing that we're all trying to do and, and see improve. You know, if I would just encourage anyone with kind of a parting thought here is I really think it's important for us not to miss the value of a positive, stable, consistent adult relationship in the life of an older foster youth. 
that really just is such a huge thing. And building that kind of social capital, it, it requires intentionality. So we are um, always looking for partners and people that want to join us in that journey as we, um, we really want to set up a new generation of youth that are aging out of foster care with um, a brighter future and, and really to pour into them. And, and I admire the, the program you've put together, the approach that you're taking. I am hopeful through all of these because this is a, this is a common thread throughout these podcasts is the importance of that relationship. And so I really hope as more and more people discover this podcast that some people maybe who had never thought about it before would say, you know what, I could mentor, I could coach a young person in an older youth in foster care. I'm really hoping to garner to increase the interest because it is so important. And unfortunately, a lot of people just aren't aware of the situation. And so through this podcast, I'm hoping to grow the awareness. So I thank you very much for sharing your approach and the work that you're doing. And uh, I do wish you all the best, not only, of course, right now in this COVID, but as you continue on with your mission, I think it's great. Well, thank you, Lynn, for the work you do as well. Oh, thank you very much. All right. For those who have listened to the end, thank you so much for listening to another podcast uh, with Aging Out Institute. We try to put these out uh, at least every other week, uh, maybe more often than that. So look for another one in the next week or two. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting. Any resources or research mentioned in today's podcast will be added to this episode's show notes at agingoutinstitute.org forward slash AOI podcast. If you have any suggestions for people or programs that you think we should highlight in a future podcast, please send an email with your ideas to podcast at agingoutinstitute.org. Finally, if you found this podcast to be informative or useful, we would greatly appreciate it if you would consider becoming a podcast-level patron on Patreon. For only $3 a month, you can help enable AOI to continue interviewing nonprofit leaders, social workers, and former foster youth well into the future. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash aging out institute. Thank you so much for considering it, and thank you for listening. Until next time.